Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. Satana DeBerry campaigned to become Durham County's next district attorney, advocating for reforms in the criminal justice system, including how students are treated. She's now one of several new district attorneys and sheriffs elected in November in North Carolina and across the U.S. who believe overzealous policing and prosecution has exacerbated a school-to-prison pipeline that disproportionately affects poor and minority children. Her election and this debate comes at the same time there are calls for increased police and security presence at our schools in the wake of recent shootings. Can we do both? protect children, and also make sure all students are treated fairly. We're going to explore that on today's show. Before we tackle our main topics, we open with headlines, our quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. The federal government has closed a civil rights investigation of Wake County Public Schools. The investigation stemmed from a 2010 complaint filed by the state NAACP and several other groups accusing the Wake School system of discrimination because black students are suspended at such high rates compared to the their share of the student population. School Board Chair Monika Johnson Hostler said the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights recognized the work already underway, including policy changes that have resulted in steep declines in the number of suspensions. State Superintendent Mark Johnson recently sent out a survey to North Carolina parents that included a chance to win a $250 cash prize just in time for holiday shopping according to the email, if they completed a survey on student testing. A spokesman said the prize will be paid by Superintendent Johnson personally and that it has already generated thousands of responses. Some critics suggested the email message with the survey was rather slanted and felt more like a publicity stunt than an actual tool to get feedback. Finally, a study of Denver Public Schools program that invests more in low-performing schools suggests the strategy may be working. The study, published by the Center for American Progress, compared literacy and math test scores at students at Denver schools that got extra funding with the scores of students at other schools across Colorado that did not, and found higher academic gains in the targeted schools. The additional funds were used to provide extra support for students, more time for teachers, and more training for both teachers and principals. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click Education Matters, and read more about each of these headlines as well as all the other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, today we are focusing on what has been called a school-to-prison pipeline. Earlier this week, we sat down with Satana DeBerry, who was just elected as the new district attorney for Durham County. Part of her campaign called for changes in how the criminal justice system and schools interact. Take a look. Well, we're pleased to have Satana DeBerry with us today. She was just elected as the new district attorney for Durham County. Welcome, and thanks for joining us on Education Matters. Thanks for having me, Keith. All right, well, um, well first of all, you'll be sworn in in January. I'll tell you a little bit about your background. You are um, uh, a native of North Carolina. You're an attorney. Uh, Princeton and Duke, but I think, and I know, but even though you're an attorney, most of your work has been, well, how would you describe it, in, in public policy? I, I would say I've done, at least for the last 10 or 15 years, mostly policy and advocacy work. Okay. So what made you decide to run for district attorney? I saw um, a couple of things that we're going to talk about on the show today is around the issues of um, 
prosecuting children in, in court, uh, reform of the criminal justice system, but sort of what were your driving issues? Well, I started out as a criminal defense attorney um, in my hometown in Rockingham, and uh, what I, the reason I stopped doing that work was because it really came, became clear to me that kind of all the power was with the prosecutors, with the district attorney's office. Um, and so I felt like I could do more for the people that I was working for um, if I did this kind of policy and advocacy work, kind of systems change work. Um, so I've done a lot of work around healthcare, affordable housing, community economic development. Um, and so a couple years ago, some of the groups that I've been working with in Durham around affordable housing issues and community economic development issues came to me um, and said, we'd like you to run for district attorney. Like you understand how all of these systems work together um, to especially impact communities of color and low-income communities. Um, you have a broader vision than just prosecuting people. And that's what we've been trying to do in Durham. You know, so they've been working on criminal justice reform for maybe a decade. And at every point, they've gotten some inroads with law enforcement, with judges, and got stopped at the DA's door. Right. You mentioned prosecuting, that one of your uh, platform um, uh, ideas is to stop prosecuting children in adult court. Now, I thought we, we, just, raised, we just raised the age for um, children that can, that can only be tried in adult court when they're 18. So, but is that still an issue, um, even with the new law? Yeah, sure. So the New York law has not gone into effect yet. Um, General Assembly is currently writing rules around it. Uh, so there's still a lot of advocacy around how that's going to be applied. Um, but the district attorney in North Carolina has a lot of discretion, has almost 100% discretion in um, all issues except DWIs. So depending on the jurisdiction, the, the district attorney certainly still has the discretion to try um, teenagers in adult court and certainly for violent crimes. So, so why is this a, uh, why is that a problem? I guess for you, I mean, why, why, I mean, if if someone commits a crime, if they're 15, 16, why why should they not be tried as an adult? Well, I mean, first we have to think about there are really two categories of crimes that we're talking about. We're talking about violent crimes, and then we're talking about um, nonviolent crimes, mostly drug crimes, mostly um, things that like fights or simple possession of marijuana, things that, those are the things that tend to happen okay. um, at school. And those are the things for which children tend to be referred to the criminal justice system. Criminal justice system is an incredibly blunt object. Uh, it has no nuance about it at all. Right. And children need that nuance. Um, any child that comes into contact with the criminal justice system is a troubled child. There's no doubt about that. Um, but we don't have the resources to really look at why that child is troubled. Uh, I think it is better to leave the consequences to these kind of low-level um, issues to the people who know the most about children, the people who deal with children every day, who know about the developmental um, ages of children, how children act at certain ages, what their issues are, what their trauma is. Uh, I am not, as a prosecutor equipped to deal with that. Right. Well, and you mentioned um, about where children are, and, and um, I've read an article, which is why I reached out to you to come on the show, that you wanted to make some changes to how Durham County um, handles school-based incidents. Right now, um, you know, with, with uh, sort of growing use of 
um, police officers, um, off-duty police officers, school resource officers, we're actually seeing, you know, quite a, an increase in, in criminal referrals out of school. What do you want to do there? Uh, I'd like in Durham County to move towards not taking those type of referrals from school, uh, to moving to where we have resources inside the school to deal with kids who have disruptive behaviors. Um, we're, again, we're not talking about violent crime. Certainly when you talk about what happened, say for example, at Butler High School in Charlotte, um, that is a tragedy, and that is certainly the type of thing where there does need to be criminal justice right. intervention. Um, kids fighting at school, a kid who mouths off at a teacher because they have some other issue, those are not, those are not things that we can deal with in the criminal justice system. Right. Well. Right. Now, um, you know, some teachers might be watching in this interview and maybe some parents too and thinking you know that if if the child is doing something that you know rises to a crime you know I want law enforcement I want the district attorney's office to have my back um, so to speak I mean how would sort of what's your response to concerns that um, I don't know that, that you sort of might be sending a message that um, um, some of this behavior is actually okay well, I don't think we're sending the behavior we're sending the message that it's okay there are always consequences to behavior that kind of breaks our social contract with each other. Um, the first thing I would say is that my, my number one priority is to keep all the people of Durham County safe. That includes the children of Durham County. Um, and for children, uh, interaction with the justice system is traumatic and sometimes is not, is not in their best interest. Uh, I come from a family of teachers. My parents taught, my grandparents taught, uh, my siblings either teach now or have taught in the past. And you have three children in Durham Public Schools I have right three now. Three kids in Durham Public Schools. Um, so my parents taught in public schools. My siblings teach in public schools. So this is a, a really important issue to me, um, as a parent, as somebody who lives in this community. The waste of human capital when we send kids to the criminal justice system, as opposed to dealing with their issues in school, um, it's inexcusable. That's not who we want to be in Durham County. Um, we want to keep every child safe, and we want every child to grow up to their potential. And sometimes that means intervention, and that means consequences. That doesn't always, doesn't have to be the criminal justice system that is that consequence. You are familiar with the term school to prison pipeline. I am very familiar with that term. Does that exist? Absolutely. Um, what does that mean to you? I think what it means to me is that we, for black and brown children, um, we involve, for very minor things, we involve them with the criminal justice system early. Um, and we know there are thousands of collateral consequences to being involved to, with the criminal justice system just for adults. So imagine what happens to a child who's very early been identified as a criminal justice problem, right? Not as a behavioral problem, but as a serious, as a criminal. Um, that child then throughout their educational career comes into more contact with um, law enforcement, they come into more contact with juvenile justice authorities, um, <clears throat> and kind of the best way to create an adult criminal is by creating a child criminal. Do you think we've exacerbated that with, uh, look, we're, we're concerned, everyone's concerned about school shootings and safety, but the zero tolerance policies, increasing use of law enforcement, I mean, are we, have we made it worse? This, this school well, prison pipeline. I think zero tolerance policies absolutely have made it worse. Um, again, I am not an expert in children, right? I'm not an educational expert. Me either. <laughs> right? But what we know is that we deal with kind of the fallout of kids who are not in school. Um, and so the safest place for a kid is in school. 
I don't. I think there was a article that just uh, report that just came out this week from Howard that in North Carolina schools we actually have not been keeping kids more right. safe by having SROs in the school. Um, and so I think we at least the district attorney's office, we're gonna to start to, to talk about these issues. Great, well, we look forward to, uh, to seeing what you do in, in Durham. We're gonna certainly follow this. It's a, it's a big policy issue for the country and for the state, but, uh, but thanks for coming on and talking to us about it. We thanks appreciate it, and good, luck, and good luck in your new role. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks again to uh, DA-elect DeBerry for coming on. When we come back, we're going to be joined by the co-director of the Youth Justice Project, a nonprofit that focuses on equity and fairness in education and the juvenile justice system. Stick around. We can part by Paragon Bank, serving others, enriching lives. Welcome back to Education Matters. We're going to continue our discussion today on criminal justice and schools with Peggy Nicholson. Peggy is the co-director of the Youth Justice Project. You are an attorney. And I mentioned in, in my brief intro, the Youth Justice Project, a statewide organization. You're based in Durham, and you focus on fair and effective school discipline practices as well as reforms in the criminal and the juvenile justice system. So thanks for, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Um, why does the Youth Justice Project believe that there is a need to focus on school discipline, like how young people interact with the criminal justice? Why do you think we need to focus on it? Right. So I think there are lots of reasons people should care about the use of suspensions and the overuse of suspensions in North Carolina. The first is really um, anytime a child is suspended, they're out of the class. They're missing critical instruction time. Um, another reason that it's really important to look at suspensions is because we've been using them for years, but they don't work. There's no research or data showing that suspension actually deters misbehavior, addresses the root cause of student misbehavior, just putting the child out, then they come back to the class with all those same problems and behaviors. Finally, suspensions aren't distributed equally. Um, and looking at the numbers of suspensions, who gets those suspensions, we know that students of color, um, black students especially, and students with disabilities are disproportionately given uh, suspensions across the state of North Carolina. And so it's really an issue of potential discrimination um, that when we're looking at suspension. Right, you know, you, you, you saw the interview we did with DA Delecta Berry, and she mentioned the um, the criminal justice system being a blunt object. Right. I mean, school discipline can be too. When you have right, I mean, so that's, I think that's what yeah. you're referring to. Is it, it's it, it's you you want to maintain order in the class. You want to make sure it's a good learning environment. But it's like get them out of the class, get them suspended, and then they're excluded from. I mean, and that's what you're really getting at. Right. Nobody advocates for no accountability for student misbehavior. It's more looking what does evidence and research show us is going to be effective. What is actually going to bring that student back into the classroom, ready to learn, allow their peers to learn, and make an overall better school climate. Now, I mentioned the school to prison pipeline. Um, why, do you, why do you think it's called that? Yeah, so I, I think that it's really important um, to look at what schools do to either exacerbate this pipeline and push students towards the court system, and in some cases, what schools are doing to really dismantle that pipeline and take students who are really high needs and help make sure they don't end up in the court system. I think schools have a lot of agency in this conversation, so I know the school to prison pipeline is sometimes a controversial term, but I do think there is a lot that schools 
um, can do to dismantle this push towards the court system that many students experience. Well, and there, I mean, there's real, I mean, you've got some data on your website, but there's real data that when, when, when students are suspended, particularly talking about high school students, right. then they're out, they're not being supervised, Absolutely. they're probably not around, they may not be around any parents or, or caregivers, and they actually are more likely to end up, I mean, I saw some pretty crazy numbers about the more, every time you get suspended, the more likely you are to end up being incarcerated as right. an adult. Right. And, you know, that happens very directly when you have police in schools. So sometimes a suspension can result in interaction with the court system because the students out of school. Sometimes the court system through law enforcement is there in the school directly putting kids into that court system. Right. We talked a little bit about, um, in the first part, about race equity. That's something mm -hmm. that I know your organization, in fact, I encourage our viewers to check out your website, youthjusticenc.org, and you can find us on, on our website, too. You produce a, a, an annual racial equity report card. What mm -hmm. are you tracking? So there's lots of data available uh, on schools, right? And often that data is presented to the public in kind of overall numbers for school. You know, we give each school a grade. And our organization thought it was really important to break that data out by subgroups, look at how different racial groups are performing because what may be an A school overall, really for black students, is a C school. They're not getting the same opportunities or they're experiencing higher levels of suspension. And so we wanted to make sure that uh, information was out there as well because that's an important conversation that schools and communities need to be having are all students getting the same education the same discipline and overall our findings are they're not um, and so we really want to empower communities to start working on that and finding solutions yeah and I, you know and, I, and you know maybe I'm I mean I, I like to be optimistic about these things mm -hmm. when I talk to groups and we share this data um, they're shocked that, that some of the disparities that exist yeah, I mean, it's because that data is not really easily available for the public. I will say that when we go and speak with groups, especially of, of parents of black students, they're usually not shocked. I can say, yeah, yeah when, it, when I talk to other groups and, and share, like, that you know, black students are suspended 40% more than white students, often for the same offenses, right. the black parents in the, in, the, in the audience are nodding, of course. Yeah, yeah we yeah. know that, but it's, it's the other parents that aren't, just don't know. Right, it really validates their experience because they're seeing it, and students see it, too. We work with a lot of students who are involved in the court system or have been involved with exclusionary discipline like suspension and you know it's not telling them anything new it's just providing data to back it up right now you're doing this work uh, at the youth justice project at the same time that we are seeing uh, an increase in school shootings mm -hmm. I mean you know, mass shootings but right. also violence inside of school like what we had at uh, high school outside of Charlotte recently right. now a lot of a lot of policymakers a lot of parents are actually calling for more security, mm -hmm. more police in schools. Um, I mean, they're scared. Right. Um, they want to do something. So I'm going to ask you more or less the same question that I asked uh, DA Elect DeBerry. I mean, how would you respond to those who say we actually need to be tougher? Yeah. Um, that, that we don't actually we don't need to. Um, uh, you know, sort of step back from enforcement. Right. I think the safety of students and school staff is critically important. The problem is that we don't have any research or data showing that increasing the number of police in schools uh, makes them safer. There, first, there's not a lot of data on it, but the studies that have been conducted don't show an increase in school safety or overall positive school climate. We do know that there are things that work, increasing support staff, having more uh, smaller class sizes, more counselors, more social workers, more of those trained professional adults who can 
provide early interventions and supports for students. So I think that when policymakers are looking at where do we want to spend resources, one, they need to really examine how effective these school resource officers are being, especially given the potential negative impacts. And two, until we know that they're actually effective, put our money into the things we know works. It's all about what is going to actually have a positive impact on school safety. So I think when we're talking about school safety, we really have to question some of the assumptions we've been making. Well, speaking of things that are working, um, you told me that um, your group is working with some school districts on what you're, what you're calling school justice partnerships. Right. So tell me a little bit about that. So that's a really exciting initiative that um, is really kind of community driven. So it started in Georgia with a juvenile court judge who saw these cases coming into his courtroom that shouldn't be there. And so he was dismissing them, but eventually he said, I wanna pull everyone together all at the same table, law enforcement, school folks, community service providers, and figure out how we can reduce school-based referrals. And they really, they came up with an agreement that really did three things. One, it reduced, um, it really set clear guidelines for what types of offenses school resource officers should be involved in and took minor offenses kind of off the table as criminal offenses. Um, it also provided lots of training for different folks and also uh, data collection and monitoring of the SRO program. And they had great results. They significantly reduced juvenile court complaints coming out of school. They didn't see any negative impacts on academic achievement or overall school safety. And that model was then picked up by some North Carolina districts in New Hanover and Charlotte-Mecklenburg, and they saw similar success. And so now, statewide in North Carolina, judges are really being encouraged to do that same kind of community convening in their local district, bring people to the table, and see what their community can do to reduce the school-based offenses. So just quick last word, I mean, so what, so what, so what would you want uh, viewers to take away? I mean, th th there, are, there are other ways to, I guess, another way to do it. Yeah, there are lots of collaborative, individualized ways that at a local level, you can look at school-based offenses. I think uh, Attorney DeBerry is going to hopefully be doing that work in Durham soon. Great. Well, look, thanks so much for being on the show today. Um, I think it's an important topic, and uh, we wanted to, to bring it to our viewers to, to, to sort of start another mm -hmm. conversation. So thanks so much. Thank you. After the break, this week's final word. Since we're taping this show the week after Thanksgiving, I wanted to first say how grateful we are to you, our viewers, who tune in every week and to our supporters who help make this show possible. We're thankful we have the opportunity to bring you these stories about education in North Carolina. Now, some weeks the issues we'll cover are driven by legislative actions and what they mean for teacher pay and classroom resources. In other weeks, it's the headlines like mass school shootings and how they affect students and school safety. Other shows like this week, we bring forward issues we believe are important and maybe aren't top of mind for some viewers, but perhaps they should be. The fact that low-income students and black and brown students are disproportionately disciplined and suspended is a matter of public record. It's a fact. We also know the rise in zero-tolerance zero policies often mean any behavior that gets a student sent to the principal's office results in suspensions. Today in America, one out of nine students are suspended at least once. The problem is suspension may put troubled kids out of sight, but it doesn't alter their conduct and typically leads to higher dropout rates and higher arrest rates. It's a complex problem. Teachers need to know their school leaders and the community have their back, and we need to make sure students are safe at school. 
but we also have to reckon with consequences created by well-intentioned policies that hurt students and the community as a whole. That's it for this week's show. Next week, we're going to focus on school principals, including welcoming the, the North Carolina Principal of the Year. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week.